0: Lord, we're gathered here today because you've called us by name. You've called us to be your people, and you've called us into this body of faith. And we're here with open hearts and minds, and so speak to us by the power of your Spirit, that we may say that the meditations of our hearts and my words have been a blessing through the power of the Spirit. And we pray this now in Christ our Lord's name. Amen. Amen. Let me give you a caveat before I begin the sermon, which is something you never do as a public speaker, because it can be offensive and you don't want to offend your uh, your audience, but let me say that in our text today you'll see that Jesus offended his audience, so I'm in a good stead, right? Uh, the caveat is that what I'm going to say today is in the way of a reminder for you and for me. This is not a critique of light shine or what we do here, because I think we do great stuff in terms of mission. And that's the foundation of light shine. So when you hear what I'm saying, and I'm telling you this at the beginning so I don't forget it, because I don't have it in my text at all, and I might forget that. So this is simply a reminder of something that you already know. All right? I've been reading a uh, biography of General Grant, Ulysses S. Grant, the Civil War General and two-term president. A fascinating book. It's called Grant. Imagine that. And it's by a Presbyterian pastor named uh, Ron White, who also wrote a very esteemed biography of Lincoln. And now he's written the book on Grant. And I was in the section where Grant has just been elected to his second term in office. And he's giving his inaugural address, and what he's doing, he's laying out his credentials, and then he's giving what he wants to do for the next four years. So I got interested in inaugural addresses, so I started reading some online, and I remember that uh, Lincoln's inaugural second inaugural address is considered one of the classic speeches of American presidency, and one of the best inaugural speeches. Although it's only 701 words long, it took him about six minutes to deliver so I began looking at it and began reading about it, and then I noticed in, in, the, in the novel I was reading, novel, the biography I was reading about Grant, that he does an analysis of, of um, inaugural speeches. And part of the analysis was that, that this showed the, the growth in general Grant in his literary abilities because he was thought not to be able to write well, and this shows that he had developed skills in writing. But what it also mentioned was that it used to be In inaugural addresses, what presidents would do is they would give their credentials, why they should be president, why people voted for them, and then, after that, they would lay out their mission for the next four years. So I'm reading all of this. I read the text for today, in Luke 4, and I go, Oh, that's an inaugural address. That is Jesus' inaugural address, beginning his ministry. So as we look at this text in Luke 4 verses 14 through 30, see it as an inaugural Or where first of all, Jesus gives his credentials. And out of his credentials, we really see who he is, his identity. And then we will see his mission, what he was sent to do. And then Jesus' opposition. So our text is Luke chapter 4 beginning at... Verse 14. Now you're gonna hear some, I'm gonna comment here because there's some repeating phrases that are very important. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Very important. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. The spirit emphasis in the Luke Gospel of Luke. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and was praised by a Notice the reaction of the people to Jesus, and at the end, how it changes. Jesus went to Naphtas, where he had been raised. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue, as he normally did, and stood up to read. The synagogue assistant gave him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, Spirit, there it is again, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim relief to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the synagogue assistant, and sat down. Every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him, and he began to explain to them today this scripture has been fulfilled just as you have heard it. Everyone was raving about Jesus. So impressed were they by the gracious words flowing from his lips. They said, This is Joseph's son, isn't it? And notice the change in mood. Then Jesus said to them, and here's where he offends his audience, Undoubtedly, you will quote the saying to me, Doctor, Heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard you do in Capernaum. Now that's important because Capernaum was primarily a Gentile town. He had done miracles in Capernaum. And they're saying, hey, could you throw us a bone and do some miracles here in your hometown of Nazareth? He said, I assure you, no prophet is welcome in the prophet's hometown. (laughs) Oh, oh. I'm a prophet, here I am, here. And I can assure you, that there were many widows in Israel during Elijah's time, and when it didn't rain for three and a half years, there was a great food shortage in the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to a widow in the city of Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. There were also many persons with skin diseases in Israel during the time of the prophet Elisha. But none of them were cleansed.
1: Instead, Nahum,
0: a Gentile, and a German, i a German, and a general in the Syrian army. None were healed. Instead, Naam, the Gentile general, of the Syrian, was cleansed. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was filled with anger. They rose up and ran him out of town. They led him to the crest of the hill on which their town had been built, so that they could throw him off the cliff. But he passed through the crowd and went on his way. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A very interesting text. But we see, first of all, Jesus' credentials. The credentials inform us not only about his qualifications to be Messiah, but they also show us his identity. His first credential is that he's led by the Holy Spirit. And we see this very clearly in the larger context in, in Luke. A few weeks ago, Rob preached on the baptism of Jesus by John of the Jordan River. And in that account, it says, And the Holy Spirit came upon him when he was baptized. And a boy said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I find great pleasure in him. Jesus returns from the baptism, crossing the Jordan River, full, as Luke says, of the Holy Spirit. And immediately then, we're told, he was led into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days by Satan. Again, led by the Holy Spirit. And after the temptation, Luke informs that Jesus returns to Galilee, the northern province in Israel, where Nazareth is. He returned to Galilee. How? in the power of the Holy Spirit. He travels to his hometown of Nazareth, and on the Sabbath he goes to the synagogue to worship. As the text says, it was his custom. He was a good, religious Jew. And the attendant there in the synagogue gives him the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads about the Messiah. That's a text... About the suffering servant, the Messiah. And the first words he reads in that text in Isaiah 61 is, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. All this spirit talk. Are you getting any hints about Jesus' credentials here? The spirit talk is about. Not just some special inspiration. It's not about religious genius that Jesus has or some unusual talent that makes him a goat, the greatest of all time. He's more than that. Luke's language is pointing beyond the human to the divine. This is God's talk. It is about the spirit, and you notice that in the text, the spirit is always has a capital S. Because the translators want to indicate that this is about divine person. And so we put it with a capital S. Luke's language is pointing beyond the human to the divine. And this spirit isn't about school spirit of a high school football game. It's not about a hype and a great uh, ad campaign. He has qualities... Not of a human genius. He had divine attributes, divine qualities, divine nature. He is God in human flesh that we just sung about. In the synagogue he reads from Isaiah 61. And there's something very important to notice here. He uses the first person singular pronoun three times. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Capital S, Holy Spirit, is upon me. The Lord has anointed me. And the Lord has sent me to preach. What is he doing? Very simply, he's saying, this text in Isaiah, that you all know here today, is about the Messiah who is to come. That, friends, is me. That is an audacious statement. What he's saying is Isaiah's hope, his prophecy is fulfilled in him, and as the Christmas carol says so beautifully, the hopes and fears of all the years are found in thee That's what the has believed from its very beginning. Audacious statement. Audacious. How could he possibly say that? Well the text then moves on quickly from his uh, characteristics, his qualifications, to his mission. Jesus' mission is stated by Isaiah, to help the poor, both economically and spiritually, to heal the blind, physical blindness and spiritual blindness. Blindness in scripture is often a metaphor for spiritual blindness, so he's not just healing the blind physically but is healing them spiritually as well. And he is to release the oppressed, to those who are bound. And the emphasis here is not released just from physical prison, although it is about that as well, but released from a spiritual indebtedness. It means here, in larger terms, to be forgiven. Jesus does what no other human agency can do. It's about release. It's about what the courts can't do. And that's provide what human agency can't do, the forgiveness for the crimes committed. It's releasing from bondage. We saw earlier that Jesus three times said that he is the one who frees those trapped in economic and or spiritual poverty. He's the one who opens the eyes of the physically and spiritually blind. He's the one who frees the oppressed the incarcerated, and those spiritually bound in the chains of that idolatry. That's his mission. That's what God has called him to do. How does he do that? How he does that is through us. Just as God the Father sent Jesus the Son and sent him in the world to fulfill this mission, so Jesus has sent us that's something you've heard here at in the last five years that's the nature of this church that's why we're here because we understand that we are a sent people sent by God into the world to heal the blind to help the poor and release the captives that's what we're about he's passed this mission on to us and as the writer of the book of Hebrews wrote Jesus also suffered outside the city gate. So now let us go outside the camp. And we go to help the poor, to free the oppressed, and to heal the blind. But we don't go alone. You've heard that here at LightShine many times. We go with the support, the help, the care, the encouragement of you, the people of God. And we as a church don't try to do it all. We do what God enables us, what God has gifted us as the people of God to do. We do that. And we trust that other churches are doing other parts of this ministry that we can't do because we don't have the resources or the giftedness. But we do what God has called us to do in this place at this time. Have I said we are not alone? We do it as Jesus did it. He did it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit goes before us. The Spirit goes within us. The Spirit walks beside us. And we move into the mission field of Jesus. Let me illustrate this with a ministry or a mission that many of you are familiar with. I actually have two. If you want to hear the second one, just applaud, and I'll know you want to go on to the second illustration as well. Okay, thank you. It all began in, in about 2001. Uh, in 2001, uh, Dave Carpenter, who was the youth dude at Westminster before Rob, Rob was the youth dude, he was an associate pastor for youth, had left. He had gone to Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church in. Uh, Houston, Texas, and somehow I found out he was leading a mission trip to Kenya. And I thought that would be a great thing to do. And I found out who was leading it was Moses Poulet. Moses Poulet had been invited to be an intern at our church, and I was to be a supervisor. And so I thought, what a great deal. I could go and go on this mission trip to Africa, never been there, but love to go, and I could get to meet Moses and build a relationship with him. Before I went, I was teaching a class and I told the class I wouldn't be there for two weeks because the reason I wouldn't be there is I was going to Africa. One of the young men came up to me afterwards and he said, let me tell you something, Dale. He said, I've done a lot of work in Africa. He said, I've done filming there He's a filmmaker. And he said, let me tell you, Africa gets into your soul. And I said, well, thank you, Randy. And I thought to myself, that's wonderful poetic language, but it doesn't mean much. So I went on the trip with with Dave and Moses and the people from Memorial Guide Presbyterian Church and it was a spiritual revolution for me. We had the most mind-numbing, back-breaking, meaningless work to do. We stayed in a hotel that I would not take any of you to ever. And they fed us, but we were starving because they fed us so little. And it was so bad. I can go on to describe this hotel, but it did gross you all out. But just one little thing the night we left, it was robbed. We left just in time, where bandits came in and held all the Europeans hostage and took their watches and their money and everything else. And they had armed guards at the gate, but that's another story. Uh, anyway. So it wasn't the work that was wonderful. We were doing good work. We were helping a young life camp. and Here's what we were doing. We were taking big, wrought iron stakes, digging up rocks out of the soil, putting them in wheelbarrows and carrying them to this big pit where they were making uh, a platform. I mean, in the heat. It just It was awful. But we visited some wonderful things. Uh, some mission projects and for me it, it was a tremendous experience of God's presence we came home and I said to Moses, Moses we've got to take our people to Africa This okay, so we started planning that was in 1991 uh, 99, and 2001 so Moses had two friends and many of you know them uh, Stephen and Josephine Sessy, were getting their PhDs at 4 as Moses was and Moses asked Stephen once, he said, you know, we want to take a group of, of Christians from our church to Africa, but we don't have a project. And they said, oh, well, in our little church in eastern Africa, in Makobi, we have 60 AIDS orphans, and we can't help them. They're, they're either living with a grandparent, or they're living with one of the parents, and they're subsistence farmers, they don't have enough to care for these children, and we're trying, and we don't have any money. They couldn't even put a roof on the church. And he said, you could come and help us build an orphanage. And so Moses and I said, that's wonderful, under one condition, that it not be a one-off, that it be a community redevelopment. And everybody agreed. We recruited the people, we raised the money, and we went. We had people from our daughter that was 14 years old all the way up to 80. were on that trip, we built, or helped build, the first building, put the roof on the church. And the amazing thing that happened there, there were many amazing stories. One of those, Ivan, said that to Joseph, I mean to uh, Stephen Sessy, he said, you know, God has cursed the Maccoby area with AIDS Epidemic. In that area, in Kenya, it's mixed. uh, Muslim, Christians, they get along very well. And he said, so so it's cursed. But over time, we did community redevelopment. We refurbished the school. It was so poor that the parents, the poor parents, weren't sending their kids to the school. Had no floors, had no windows on on the doors, had the openings, the roof leaked, and so we refurbished the school entirely. We drilled a well, so the first time in the history of that community, they had fresh water. They didn't have to walk five kilometers to a dirty polluted stream to get their water. The town began to become alive. They got a hotel, a restaurant and a store. So people didn't have to walk so far or get transportation. And we took twenty six girls, AIDS orphans, and pledged ourselves to them. So the Imam said, that God has removed the curse because the Christians from America have come to help us. So we continued to work there, built another dorm, started a school for uh, mentally retarded children and handicapped children, It's still going. But here's the amazing thing to me. Dave Wilkinson, the pastor of Park Press, and myself were the pastors leading the trip. It was combined two churches. The amazing thing to me was that God got a hold of the hearts of the lay people. At that time, I met the new director of mission for the entire PCUSA. He was brand new, and he was the director, and he was itinerating around meeting people. And for some reason, he felt like he needed to say, that churches should not be doing short-term mission trips. They do more harm than good. The question and answer time, I did something I've never done before. I said, you say we shouldn't go on short-term mission trips. I said, let me tell you my experience. I said, if God wants to take people to spend their own money and have him touch their hearts, I'm all for that. And that's what happened. But here's the most amazing thing to me. We got back, and those lay people's hearts were moved. They said we have to form a nonprofit organization in order to keep this going so we can do truly do community redevelopment. And they began, they got a nonprofit organization and a nonprofit status. And they ran it. Dave Wilkinson and I, the other pastor, never once attended any meetings. Because the ladies people used their administrative, leadership, God-given gifts to form that particular organization. It's been going on for 26 years. About 26. <coughs> so, anyway, uh, we committed ourselves to 20, that's what I wanted to say tonight here, 26 girls... And the commitment was that we will stay with them and provide for them until they either graduate from a technical college where they have a skill or they go to university. And now all 26 have either gone to a technical school and they're looking or they have graduated from university. There are seamstresses that are making their own clothes and selling them. There are hairdressers. There are teachers. There are people in the medical field One of the young women is a news anchor for the television channel in Nairobi. Here are girls who had no choices in life. Moses would say over and over again, if you want to enable the African, you must enable the African woman. Those girls then did not have what happens often either general mutilation or being being sold off as a child bride. They had options in terms of education they wouldn't have if they stayed in Macobe. All of that. Because of God's spirit You've got a hold of some It's not just Africa. It gets a hold of your heart. It's spirit. That's the first story. The second one, let me just mention 26 years ago, this is where i 26 years, we started the Westminster Free Clinic at Westminster Presbyterian Church. Because a doctor, Dr. Daniel, 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 Daniel. how would you like to start a free clinic for the poor? And I said, I would love to. I don't have any expertise. How would you do it? Don't worry about it. We visited. There's one, two, three, four, five of us here that visited a couple weeks ago. And that clinic is still going. It's still training young people and giving them options in life. And that's as much as I'll say about that. So that's our mission.
1: The mission of Jesus
0: Christ is our mission. But there's a real change in the text where we see opposition to Jesus, where they were raving about it. They were wondering at his words of wisdom. And now all of a sudden, there's a mood change. And there's opposition, there's pushback because of a simple question. This is Joseph's son, right? How can he be saying these things? Now, why does Luke put that in here? We have this high inaugural moment, one of the high moments in the, in the story of Jesus. And then he has this, this bummer following. Him. Why is it there? Remember, the church has started, it's about 40 years after Jesus' ascension back to the Father. And Luke is writing his gospel to the nascent, the baby infant church that is spreading throughout the world from India to Spain. And South and North Africa. And he wants to say to the church, here's your mission. Your mission is Jesus mentioned. But be aware, there will be opposition. We don't need to dwell on that, but we need to remember. That if we truly live as Christians doing the mission of Christ there will be opposition from outside the church and from within the church. And Luke simply wants to warn the church be ready for that. Don't stop. Don't let it hinder you. But be ready. So our mission is Jesus' mission to go and help the poor to heal the blind both spiritually and physically and to proclaim the release of those who are bound by everybody's life. That's what we're called to do. Thank God we got a place where we can it. Amen. Let's pray. Father and Gracious God, we are grateful that you give us the Spirit because we confess that we do not have the power within ourselves to do all that you call us to do and to be. And so we thank you for this worship moment, and now we thank you that you empower us. Help us to see with clarity what you're calling us to do, and even greater measure. And all of us, we pray, thank you in Christ for all. name. Amen.